0: that great? It was done by our friends at the Bible Project. And as that uh, kind of clip kind of teed up for us this morning, we're beginning a brand new series uh, that we're doing on the Holy Spirit called Spirit, the Kingdom of God is Near, which begs the question, which I've been wanting to ask all of you this morning, is how many of you have seen the Avengers Endgame already? Yes, All right, there's a few of you. Yes. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to, uh, I have to admit that I ponied up, you know, the, the, the 10 bucks or whatever it was, to go see it with three of my boys. That's what you do when you have boys, you go see Avengers," movies like that, you know, and stuff like that. And it, it's really interesting is, is I'm just fascinated by the fact that, uh, that the whole world just to be, it seems to be enamored and fascinated with movies like this. Like there's broken box office records, not just here in the United States. But all over uh, the world as well, in other countries as well, and um, you know, I, uh, who'd have thunk? Who'd, who'd have thunk that this is what what the deal is? I I remember um, I was the geeky nerdy kid in middle school who like read these things, read these comics, you know, and who I would have never thought that like the whole world would be going to see movies about the heroes that I cherish so much. So all of you guys are like, Johnny, come lately. It's like, where have you been? You know, so um, the, the 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 question is. Is why? Why are we so enamored and caught up with and fascinated with with stories like this? Whether it's you know be the Avengers or whether it's the Star Wars saga or or whether it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy or something like that. What 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 is it that that it just enthralls us with these movies? I I like to ask that question why because why I think gets to the the deeper issues of the heart the longings that we all have as as people and and I, there's probably lots of answers to that reason to that that question but but what i've kind of landed on is the fact that in in each one of us there's something that longs to be a part of something grand and epic where good is fighting evil and the forces of light are enmeshed in the, this cosmic battle against the 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 forces of darkness and uh, we have this inbuilt desire to know that our lives really matter, that they're significant, that we're a part of something grand and, and epic, and so we love going to see movies like this because it draws us that part out of us. Uh, the, the problem is, is that after the movie, uh, the lights go back on, and we go out and get into our cars, and then we go home, and then the next day, and I don't want anyone to get upset with me, but we go to work okay and and for some of us, work means uh, that that we stare at a computer screen for eight hours you know a day or so and and this this kind of gnawing feeling begins to kind of erode at our souls that that the life that we're living doesn't nearly match up to what we just experienced in the movie theater the the other day and 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 so we have this this feeling of the fact that we're we're living lives of, of insignificance. And, and, and this, is, this is why when the movie Avatar came out a few years ago, that there was reports of widespread depression setting in in people's afterwards because they go, went and saw the movie Avatar and then they went back and they just realized that their lives didn't nearly, nearly match up to what they, they saw. And so people just kind of sunk into this, this kind of depression afterwards because they weren't living these lives where they're saving a whole planet you know, or something like, like that. And this is true, you know, whether you call yourself Christian or whether you're a Buddhist or a Muslim, whether you're an agnostic or an atheist, this is this is true for for everyone. We have this 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 inbuilt desire to be a part of something grand and and, and epic in this story to be caught up in this story. and but we we realize that that's not the reality that we're experiencing, which if you're a follower of this man, Jesus Christ, uh, that's it's really sad if we feel this way because because following jesus we 're following the most amazing man who ever lived in the history on the planet the most inspiring hero who who ever lived and walked the earth uh, is jesus christ and and we now uh, as in following him have the opportunity to be caught up in this grandest epic cosmic battle that 's really ever been enacted upon the planet we have the opportunity to be in the epicenter of what God is doing in history and the story that he's writing and the lives that he is redeeming. Is he is literally rescuing people out of the domain of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves. That's how Paul describes God's activity in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that he is rescuing people out of the, king, uh, out of the domain of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves. And this is the part that we have to play him. And so, um, we're going to do, the question really is, is um, that in this battle, in this rescuing that God is doing, that the active agent in all of this is the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's a Holy Spirit that brings this kingdom into our world. Now we're going to do some theology this morning. Aren't you excited about that? I'm just like pumped. We're going to do some theology. We're going to look at a whole bunch of different scriptures this morning on the Holy Spirit. This is not something that we like typically do on a Sunday where usually we kind of land on one narrative. We're going to be flipping around and we have a PowerPoint. So we're, most of them are going to be up there on, on the PowerPoint for us. But um, but we're going to go all over the New Testament. And I want to, what I want to do is kind of set the stage for the the entire series that we're going to be going over over the next month because it's kind of foundational that we understand the relationship of the kingdom of God with the Holy Spirit. And and really the big idea is this is that the Holy Spirit is the active agent that initiates the kingdom of God in our dark world, okay? The Holy Spirit is the active agent of God that initiates the kingdom of God in our world and we we get a choice to whether we want to be engaged in that battle or not. We have to choose. We have to choose whether we want to be a part of this battle that God is is engaged in in our world or not. David Bryant, uh, a writer and speaker and uh, pastor, has said this. He says, We've been summoned to be a part of a larger narrative, far greater than we could have imagined, a larger purpose, a longer story, a higher calling. We've stepped into something rooted in ancient history contending with a more formidable enemy and fulfilling a far more glorious purpose, one that invites all the earth into eternal transformation. Now, the, the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite subject. He taught about the kingdom of God all the time. Okay? It, was, it was his first sermon as he arrived on the scene. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand in me and my person. It is now available and accessible to humanity. He told us to seek the kingdom of God above anything else. He said seek the kingdom of God above all else. Right? And he told us to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth just as it's always done in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, and so he told all sorts of stories and parables that, that illustrated the realities of the kingdom of God. And it begs the question, really, thus, what exactly is the kingdom of God? What exactly is that? And, and the definition that I like to use is that the kingdom of God is anywhere where God's loving rule and reign is actively applied. It's anywhere where God's loving rule and reign is actively applied. Okay? Capiche? That makes sense? Okay, so the, the kingdom of God is not a place. It's not a realm somewhere in some far off world. It's a reign. It's, it's, it's a rule. Okay. It's it's wherever God is king and wherever His rule and his reign is reign is is applied, there is His kingdom. And wherever you have God's wherever God's kingdom is, there you have love, and there you have peace. You have joy in your life because you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are loved. By God you have things like reconciliation happen between warring parties or or relatives or a husband and a wife you have things like like forgiveness and generosity everywhere where the kingdom breaks out into people's lives you have this beautiful beautiful kingdom come about and the active agent that brings about the kingdom of God is God's holy spirit okay and um, and so you know To understand exactly what the kingdom of God is, we have to understand the mindset of a first century Jewish person, okay? So I'm going to draw a little diagram for you, and you're going to say to me, Mike, we've seen this before. So you say, Mike, we've seen this before. That's right, you have. And you're going to see it again because this diagram is foundational, okay? You should all have this memorized, okay? You should all know this. Like the back of your hand, you should all be able to draw this out, okay? The, the ancient Israelites, they uh, kind of divided all of time into two grand epochs or two grand eras, okay, or two grand ages. There was what they call the Old Age. And the Old Age was the age of sin and death and decay and chaos that was kind of unleashed on the earth that was demonstrated in the video that we just saw, okay? And, And unrighteousness, but there's a day coming when Messiah, the promised one of God, was going to come, okay? And he was going to, whoa, I'm losing my thing here. He was going to usher in a new age, or an age, what they called the age to come, all right? Dave, can you help me? Why is this sliding back on me? All right, I think I've got it. Thank you. Yes, you're very helpful. <laughs> so, so he's going to, so the Messiah was going to come. He's going to usher in this new age. This age has come. This age of righteousness, of prosperity, of peace, and uh, just you know the the reign of God. And so Jesus arrives on the scene, and he demonstrates the realities. Of this kingdom, he heals people of diseases, and showing the power of the kingdom, he forgives sins, he casts out demons, showing showing his his authority over over darkness and and the, and the domain of the evil one and stuff like that. And so he he demonstrates that uh, that he in him in his person in his presence the kingdom of God is now available and accessible to anyone who would have it. He says, if anyone repent and become little child and receive god's rule and reign it's there uh for the team but he also told some stories about it okay and i want you to turn your bibles to matthew chapter 13 and we're going to look at uh verses 37 through 43 so i'm sorry that i don't have the page number down but if someone finds it in your story of god's bible you can just just kind of shout it out okay we're going to talk, uh, turn to Matthew 13, and Jesus is clearly alluding to the fact that in his arrival, it is not exactly the end of the old age, but this, this new age to come has certainly begun here. He tells a story, and if you want to learn about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it, um, just read Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is parable after parable after parable story after story, illustrating the realities of what this kingdom is like, okay? And Jesus tells one story, and in this story he says, hey, this man had this field, and in this field he sowed good seed in this field. But while he was asleep, an enemy came and sowed in bad seed and weeds amongst his good seed. Then the the, 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 the seed started to grow, and they realized Not only was there good plants, but there's also weeds amongst the good plants. And his workers come to him and say, hey, how did this happen? Who did this? And the owner of the the field says, an enemy did this. And they said, well, do you want us to go and rip out all the weeds? And he says, no, no, if you do that, you'll rip out some of the good seed as well. He says, let them grow together. And then at harvest time, what we'll do is we'll bundle up all the weeds and we'll Throw them into the fire to be burned, and we'll harvest the good seed. Okay? Clear enough? Right. Okay. That's what the disciples said as well. They came to Jesus later, and they said, "Uh, Jesus, can you explain this story to us? And so he's happy to oblige. In verse 37, he says this. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That was Jesus' favorite title for himself. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom." The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. Okay? And the harvest is the end of the age. Okay, Someday this old age is going to end. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Okay? Let me read that again. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is clearly alluding to the fact that in, in his coming, in his person, the, the age to come has arrived. The kingdom of heaven is near, but there's this overlap of the where the good seed and the bad seed live together. They grow together. The sons of the evil one and the sons of the kingdom live together. And then there's going to come this day when this age, at the, he says at the end of the age, it's going to be brought to a close and he's going to send out his angels and they are going to, there's going to be a great harvest at that time. And so Jesus clearly alludes the fact that, that there's this overlapping of the ages. The kingdom here in this age to come, has arrived, okay? It's been inaugurated, but it hasn't been completed. It hasn't been consummated. The rescue mission has begun on the world, but it hasn't been fully completed. The kingdom is now and available and accessible, but is not yet fully here in all of its glory and all the good. And we live in this time when we still live in this broken world of decay and death and unrighteousness, right? We see that all around us, but the kingdom is now available to us. Okay, Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All of that is now available in the age, age to come in Jesus Christ. And so the rest of the New Testament, the writers in the New Testament, specifically Paul, begin to explain and delineate what is the role of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The agent of this age to come, of the kingdom, is the Holy Spirit. What is it like when the Holy Spirit comes? So... We're going to look at some verses, and this is where the PowerPoint guys have to really be on their ballgame here. So, the first thing is is that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul says this in Ephesians, says, and you also were included in Christ. You heard the word of truth, okay, so you heard the message being proclaimed, the gospel is your salvation. Having believed, okay, having believed, You are marked in him to seal the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, when does someone receive the Holy Spirit? Having believed. When you believe, one of the things that happens when you turn from your sin and you turn towards Jesus and you say, Jesus, I believe you were the atoning sacrifice for my sin. I invite you to to come into my life, cleanse me. Jesus comes in to you. In the person of the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. Having believed, you're, pro- you're marked in Him with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance till the redemption of those who are God's possession. So the Holy Spirit is this deposit, is this down payment that God has given us. It's like an engagement ring. Okay, husbands, when you got on your knee to that babe that's sitting next to you right there, right, you popped out a engagement ring. Now, were you married? No, you weren't. Engagement ring was a promise, to make a promise. okay? And you gave her an engagement ring, and then on your wedding day, you then put on the full wedding ring. right? So that's what, he's saying that the, the Holy Spirit is, is like that. He's saying, we have the Holy Spirit right now. It's like an engagement ring. It's a deposit. It's a, guaranteeing that he is going to come back for us to the redemption of those who are God's will. We're going to have this full inheritance, uh, he says that again in 2 Corinthians. Why don't you put that one up there as well? 2 Corinthians. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. The Holy Spirit, God's spirit in us is a deposit. Where God is saying, hey, I'm coming back for you. What I, what I promised is going to happen. I've given you this engagement ring, this down payment, guaranteeing what is to come. So now does the Holy Spirit, a deposit, but the Holy Spirit is also a foretaste of what is going to come, okay? In um, Romans chapter 8, he says this. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So all of creation is groaning, okay? we It's it's marked by decay, you know. If you were to come back here in 100 years, even the chairs that you're sitting on would show signs of rust and decay. We see the world in upheaval and, you know, floods and hurricanes. Like that. But so the whole world is in decay. Not only so, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for our, our adoption as sons. Okay? Groan inwardly. Okay? How many of you are groaning these days? I went out for a run today, or yesterday, and I'm groaning today as a result of going out for the run. Okay? Uh, if you're not there yet, you'll get there. Don't worry. Okay? We all we all are start beginning to groan inwardly. But not only do we grow on annually basis, not only so, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit is like the first fruits. It's like a foretaste of what is going to come. Okay? We live in a day and age where we have mire and Sendex and stuff like that. So we don't think in terms of first fruits anymore. Okay? But this was an agrarian society. Produce was actually seasonal. Okay? You could only get certain things at certain times during their season. Okay? And so the first fruits was that very first you know, bit morsel that you had. You know, it's like when you're driving down the road, road and Main Street, and you're like, ah, the sweet corn co- truck is out. You know, and you're like, gotta get some sweet corn. You know, and in August, and you pull in, and you're like, oh, the first sweet corn. Oh, oh, I love this. And and what is what's the first fruit? The first fruit is like, oh, in you know, in a few weeks, they're gonna have they're gonna have so much sweet corn they're not gonna know what to do with it. They can't give the stuff away after the harvest starts coming in. But the first fruits is that first little bit, that first taste, like strawberries, like. You know, you wait all for strawberries, and finally late, late summer comes around, and it's like, oh, they're selling strawberries, you know? And you go to the farmer's market, strawberries! And then, so, you know, like in a few weeks, they're going to have more strawberries than, they know, than they're going to know what to do with. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit is. It's a foretaste. They there is more to come. There's so much more. It's like when you're at a big gala event or ball or something like that, you're mingling with people, and someone walks around with a tray full of bacon-wrapped water chestnuts, and you're like, oh, I'll have one of those. And you try it, you're like, oh, oh, it's so good. I can't wait for the full meal, you know, for the full meal to come. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. We receive the Holy Spirit into our lives, and He brings things like love. And you're like, oh, I know God loves me. Like joy, like deep peace. And you're like, oh, one day, this is going to be the law of the land. I won't have anxiety anymore. I won't have this compulsive nature anymore. I I won't have these addictions anymore. I won't have this anger in my heart anymore. This little bit that I have that God is giving me right now is this foretaste. That one day, one day it's coming. And it's going to be full and complete. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great picture? We We should all be like longing for that day. We have this foretaste in the Holy Spirit. It's Great, great you know, appetizer of what is to come in the kingdom of heaven. But not only that, not only is it a deposit, not only is it a fortress, but the Holy Spirit is the power that gives us the ability to proclaim who Jesus is as we live in this time from between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, when he died on the sin and rose, for, rose from the grave for our, the, the redemption of our sins, and before he comes back and brings his kingdom and all his glory. In between this, there is this battle raging. And the revolution is on. Jesus has unleashed his spirit upon humanity. If you read the book of Acts, the book of Acts, don't read the book of Acts yet because we're going to go over this summer, okay? In the summer. But if you were to read the book of Acts, you would see that the Holy Spirit is breaking out all throughout humanity. And it's the, the agent of bringing God's kingdom on earth. And in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to put that up on the screen. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead and so Jesus' disciples are freaking out. You can just imagine. They're like, Jesus, we thought you were the Messiah, and then you died. And then we thought, well, maybe he's not the Messiah. But now you're alive again. And you're like, no, now we know you've got to be the Messiah. And they're like, this is cool. Now everything's coming down. You're going to put Jerusalem, you know, back as the epicenter, and, you know, we're going to kick out the Romans, and Israel is going to be, you know, on top politically and militarily and spiritually and culturally and all that stuff. And Jesus is like, so fast. Not so fast. So he says, after his suffering, this is Acts chapter 1, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive, okay? As if they needed it. All right? He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom. He spoke about the kingdom. On one occasion, while he's speaking to them about the kingdom, he was eating with them and he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and he says in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples aren't hearing anything he says. The next one says, so they met together. They said, Lord, are at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Is, this going to, is it all going to come down right now? And he's like, not so fast. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus saying, you don't know when this is going to happen, when the kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness. But for now, right here in this point on, I'm going to give you the spirit. at a down payment, as a foretaste, and also to give you the power to be my witnesses, to declare who I am. To others around you. And that's exactly what they do. Again if you read the book of Acts. They begin telling and declaring who Jesus is. And the revolution is on. And the message just spreads like wildfire. And it has been spreading ever since. Ever since. The message is just going out. Now we've come to the point where one out of every three people on the planet. Claim to have some sort of allegiance to this man Jesus Christ. Right? And it continues to to spread. I I have this friend. I was friends with her in high school. Uh, actually, she was the daughter of the former uh, Bucks coach, Don Nelson. Okay? How many of you remember Don Nelson was a Bucks coach? He had a daughter named Katie Nelson who was in my grade. Katie Nelson was a follower of Jesus. So she had the Holy Spirit inside of her. And the Holy Spirit inside of her empowered her to be a witness for Jesus. And she witnessed to her friend, Becky Rothwell. Okay? Becky Rothwell heard that news, heard that message, and she repented and received Jesus as her Lord. And when she received, believed on Jesus as her Lord, what happened? She's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into her, and the Holy Spirit empowered her to be his witnesses. However, she married a guy named David, and now David and Rebecca are partners of ours here at Kettlebrook, serving They were serving in Southeast Asia for quite a while. They were in a Muslim country, and there they saw lots and lots of people. They witnessed and testified to Jesus and saw people become followers of Jesus. And they saw the Holy Spirit come into people's lives, and the kingdom come into people's lives. And it just kind of ripples out from there and there there on. We were with Dave and Rebecca uh, down in Chicago because that's where they live now. And what they do now is they travel all around the world, and train and empower followers of Jesus to start these making disciples. That makes disciples. That make disciples. That make disciple-making movements. And they're just you're getting on a plane this week to go to a Western Africa country. And in this country, they're going to equip followers of Jesus. In this country, over in the past decade, over four hundred thousand Muslims have become followers of Jesus Christ. I think I cut it out there, so I want to say it again. Over 400,000 Muslims have become followers of Jesus Christ. There's churches that have planted churches that have planted churches down to 25 generations of churches planted churches in the last decade. And they're going there to help train and equip this movement. The revolution is on people, okay? The Holy Spirit has come. He's the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He's giving us a foretaste of what's going to be, and he also empowers us to join this epic and grand narrative that God has been writing from the very beginning of time, and he's not going to let up. Every single nation, tongue, and tribe has the chance to, sh- to hear the message. The only question is, are we going to be a part of it? Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and he's not going to force himself upon anybody, or force anybody to do anything for him. We have to willingly submit and yield to his loving rule and reign in our lives. But if we do, if we do, we get a chance to be a part of the greatest story that's ever been written on the face of our planet. It's better than the Avengers. It's better than Lord of the Rings. It's better than Star. Because it's real. And God is in the process of rescuing people out of the dominion of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves. He's doing it by his Holy Spirit in us. The question is, are we going to choose to be a part of it? Because we get that choice. He gives us that choice. We can live as if we've never heard this story as if it doesn't even exist. Okay? Or we can choose to engage in it. I know what I want to do. How about you? Let me pray. Father God, wow. You are just writing the greatest story, the greatest narrative that could ever be written. We couldn't even imagine this if we if we wanted to. The story of your coming into our world. And in humility and brokenness, you now uh, have offered yourself as our sacrifice for sins, and you invite us to be part of the rescue mission that you're a part of on this planet. Your kingdom is coming all over the world, and your Holy Spirit is the one that's doing it. So we pray, Father, that as a people, here Kettleburg Jackson that we would submit to your rule and reign in our lives, we would say yes to you, and that we would step into the story that you are writing and will continue to write. You're never going to let up until every single tongue and tribe and nation has had a chance. Pray that you would get all the glory through our collective stories to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.